coming up on Philosophy Talk. Where could we use experiments in philosophy? Here's an example. There's an out-of-control trolley coming, and it's going to run over those five unsuspecting children. But if I throw the switch, it'll only run over that one unsuspecting hefty guy. What would you do? How do you know what you would do? Experimental philosophy says, look and see. Ken, there's an out-of-control trolley coming down this track. There's no switch. There's five children in the way. What are we going to do? Well, look at the hefty guy over there. If we pick him up and throw him in the way, he'll stop the train. Did Ken make the right decision in throwing the hefty guy in front of the train? What would you do? Our guest is well-known philosopher Anthony Appia, who's written a book about experiments and ethics. Out of the armchair, into the lab. Experimental philosophy. Coming up on Philosophy Talk after the news. Welcome to Philosophy Talk, the program that questions everything. Except your intelligence, I'm John Perry. And I'm Ken Taylor. We're coming to you from the studios of KALW in San Francisco. Continuing conversations that began at Philosopher's Corner on the Stanford campus. Today, experimental philosophy. Oh, come on, Ken. Experimental philosophy? That's an oxymoron. Philosophy is sitting in an armchair and thinking straight about difficult problems. Armchairs, not labs. If I'd wanted to work in a lab, I would have become a physicist or a chemist. Yeah, no, that's a long-standing uh, conception of philosophy. But, you know, there's a hot new movement afoot that takes the experimental method, true, borrowed from the sciences, and imports it right into the heart of philosophy. Yeah, hot new method. That means young philosophers are trying to screw up my life and get me out of my comfortable armchair to do something else. I'm with the old dead guys like Descartes. You want to know about philosophy? You do thought experiments. Could I imagine not having a body? Sure. Can I imagine not having a mind? Ain't so easy. Then let's think about the results of that thought experiment. Yeah, right. And Descartes concluded, yeah, so the mind is separate from the body. That's really... That's really a firm, repeatable result. But, you know, that's old hat. Well, they thought never, experiments. They didn't have very good armchairs back then. <laughs> right, right. That's old hat. Thought experiments. But new, real experiments, that's revolutionary, and it's changing the face of philosophy. Well, I mean, what kind of experiments are we talking about? So I might be able to take, uh, type up Pythagoras' theorem and, and put, it, uh, put it in a Petri dish and see what happens? I well, mean, <laughs> nothing quite that. <laughs> crude and undoable, John. But think about, say, the concept of right and wrong. You know, you're going to sit in your armchair. You're going to try to figure out what's right, what's wrong, and how are you going to do it? You're going to sit there. You're going to think of different scenarios. You're going to say, oh, I approve that one. Don't approve that one. You alone in your armchair. But how, how, why should anybody believe that? Gather a bunch of subjects, put them in different scenarios, describe different situations, vary it systematically, see how they respond, you know, do some analysis of their response, just like in psychology or any other experimental discipline. That, that's how you do it. That's how you figure out uh, the concept of right and wrong. Well, I mean, I, I admit it might be somewhat interesting to have, say, your graduate students go out and ask a bunch of ordinary folk about their... Uh, feelings about right and wrong in various situations, but it's a category mistake that that's to think that's philosophy. Philosophy is not thinking about how people do describe things, but how they ought to describe things. Well, you, you're making an important point, this distinction between what is and what ought to be. And some philosophers actually do reject experimental philosophy because they think they run those two different things together or conflate them. You know, questions about what ought to be and what is and philosophy is about the ought to be's. 
So some people agree with you about that. Well, you know, I'm pushing, trying to get my hand, uh, head around this. I, I can see, suppose, take an alien culture, like, say, Stanford undergraduates. Suppose I want to philosophize about their norms. I'd first have to figure out what their norms are. And I can't do that in an armchair because it's a total alien culture. Still, uh, it, it seems to uh, uh, make sense to have experiments to figure out what the norms are. But then there's the question... Are these norms rational? Well, yeah. So, well, you're getting the hang of it. I mean, look, even for these normative questions, we can figure, you know, what norms do they live by? We can do that experimentally. We have to do it experimentally. And so you're getting the hang of this. And, uh, you know, our guest, Anthony Appia, is an expert on this stuff. He's going to join us on a bit. We'll have a really practiced guy uh, thinking, helping us think about this. Anthony Appia. Anthony's back at Princeton. Princeton is one of these ivy-covered lo- ivy places with beautiful offices and wonderful armchairs. Now, I'm, I'm going to ask Anthony, why in the world would he give up that beautiful armchair to go into some smelly philosophy lab? Right. And once we ask him that, he say, what's the result when you get in that smelly philosophy lab? What startling things do you discover by importing the experimental method into philosophy? Finally, we'll take a closer look at what experimental philosophy has to teach us or obscure for us about the boundary between philosophy and science. But, you know, before we take a talk to that seasoned experimental philosopher, Anthony Appia, our own Rovi philosophical reporter Zoe Corneli tries her hand at gauging real people's reactions to an ethical dilemma. She files this report. First, a disclaimer. I'm not a philosopher or a scientist, so what you're about to hear is, by definition, a hack job. But that doesn't mean it's not fun. And fortunately, Philosophy Talk's own director of research, Daniel Elstein, was kind enough to bring me to a hotbed of philosophical thinking. We're outside the philosophy corner on Sanford campus. So what better place to find some sharp young minds to test out uh, these ethical decision-making situations on, right? Agreed. I've come prepared with the famous ethical thought experiment known as the trolley problem. You see a trolley headed towards five innocent children tied to the tracks, but you can switch the trolley to another track where it will only run over one man. What would you do? I would probably save the children because there are more of them, and so I'm saving four lives. My initial response intellectually is to think about like evolutionary theory, right? And how these children, if they're going to be able to successfully uh, promote the human species, then uh, it, it would be worse to kill them because of the potential that would be lost there. Children have more um, more to their lives to experience as opposed to this one man and the fact that there's five children versus this one man. It, um, I mean, if I had to do something like that, I mean, um, I would probably flip the switch, I think. So, there appears to be more or less a consensus that flipping the switch is the right thing to do. But what if we complicate the problem just a little bit? Same track, same trolley, same five children. But now, instead of sitting near the tracks, you're actually on a bridge over the tracks. And instead of flipping a switch, you can still save the children, but this time it's because there's a large, heavy man sitting next to you on the bridge, and you could push him onto the tracks, where he would get killed and his body weight would stop the train from running over the children. And what would you do in that scenario? Um, I'm not sure what I would do. (laughs) I guess, based on my previous logic, I should, but the act of having to push him off makes it a little bit more difficult. 
There's definitely a difference, but I'm not sure how I would describe it. I don't know. I'm in a difficult time with this. As far as like the math goes, there's no difference, but the experience of getting to that math, I think there's a huge difference. And really, I, 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 I honestly think that I might just be debilitated in the second scenario, debilitated by looking at both options and just like my eyes glancing back and forth and back and forth. The actual physical act of pushing him sort of involves me a lot more emotionally. That would just, I mean, <laughs> it's, I think it would be a lot harder for me to cope with as a person after the fact um, to push him. And I mean, it seems a lot more murderous than the other situation, I guess. Well, if the children are just as innocent as the man, they just happen to be on the tracks and the man doesn't, then it seems like pushing the man off is the right thing to do. But um, I think I couldn't bring myself to actually physically do the act. So everyone agrees the idea of actively killing the man feels different from indirectly killing him by flipping the switch, even though the result is exactly the same. I asked director of research Daniel Elstein if he had any idea why the second trolley scenario seems different. Well, I'm not sure. I think it might just be a practical concern with causing harm, so you don't feel like you're directly causing harm in the first case where you just flip the switch, but if you're pushing someone in front of a train, I think it's just practically speaking it's better to avoid causing harm because you never know um, what harm you're capable of if you allow yourself to justify causing harm. For Philosophy Talk, I'm Zoe Corneli. You can listen to the rest of this episode by purchasing it on iTunes Music. Or for unlimited listening, subscribe to our archive at philosophytalk.org.